down on the stool. Most of you won't be able to see me behind that arrangement. And two, um, I kind of tweaked my back a little bit this last week, so it's just easier to do it down here than it is on the stage. Uh, we're going to start a new uh, two-week, I'm calling it a little short sermon series. You guys know that I, I like to preach through series, kind of like to have the same topic for a few weeks just so everybody knows what we're talking about. And, uh, and I normally do those, oh, you know, I, I do maybe three or four, or sometimes six or seven weeks, depends on how long uh, they last, series. And I've got this week and I've got next. And then we are officially 10 days away from Haiti. Uh, our team of 25 are leaving not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. And uh, are super excited and, and kind of getting the final logistic things of that finalized and covered and done. And so uh, be, be praying for us as we prepare I'm um, excited about uh, the, the lives in Haiti that we're going to get to influence and the lives that are going to be influenced of our team that's going to get to go. So um, I've entitled this sermon series, Blessed, Hashtag Blessed. If you don't know what a hashtag is, then ask someone younger than you, okay? Um, a hashtag is a social media thing. It's been around since Twitter came out, and it's just a way to tag something that will put you into a, a group, really, that tags the same thing. And, and you can tag anything you want, I guess, um, I, could, I could tag hashtag preaching today or whatever, and it would put everybody else who, who's put, used that same hashtag in as well. And, and blessed has just kind of, it really came out, and I hate to even say why, but it came out because of a Justin Bieber tweet, if that makes you feel any better about my context this morning. Um, he put something about hashtag blessed, it just kind of took off from there. And, uh, and people use it all the time. I got, on, uh, I got online this morning and, and typed it in just to see what all would come up. And, and like some of them were, was a rainbow out over the ocean, and somebody took a picture of it and put hashtag blessed. And then somebody else had gone to church, I guess, and, and they decided to hashtag bless their church uh, selfie. If you don't take a church selfie, then you're not really at church. Um, and then um, somebody else had like, it was, a, it was a guy on the beach, and he had all these gold chains, and he says, the new album drops today, hashtag blessed. I was like, yeah, right? Because we use these things for crazy stuff. I wrote down some of my favorites, okay? When you, don't, when you realize you don't have school tomorrow, hashtag blessed. Guess who didn't write that? A parent, right? Holy cow. Or maybe it could have been a school teacher who wrote it. When you get, oh, this is, when you get both eyes eyeliner right on the first time, hashtag blessed. <laughs> what? When you order an eight-piece wing and they give you nine, hashtag blessed. When you're, this is a first world problem. When your package arrives before the expected delivery date, hashtag blessed. If you're anything, I have an Amazon obsession, and I'm always ordering stuff off of Amazon, and I track it every step of the way. It's in El Dorado. Okay, it's, in, it's all in a truck for delivery. I get real excited when stuff starts coming from Amazon. Or my favorite one, I'll end with this one. When you wake up next to a bucket of KFC, hashtag blessed. And I'm what are you talking about? Like, I don't think that they really get what blessed is, right? I don't think they really understand what that, what that concept of being blessed is. Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at um, some blessed bees, okay? This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. TJ, can I get my slides on the back? Can you do that for me? Um, we've got... Um, We've got some discussion about the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to kind of intro, we're going to get into some of these, uh, and we're going to talk about blessed versus blessed, and we're going to kind of figure out what all this really means for us. The discussion around uh, the Sermon on the Mount really kind of comes from the place, the mount that Jesus preached on. Nobody really knows what mountain this is. It just says in Matthew that he went up on a mountain, um, and, and he taught 
Uh, if, if you look, the second part of the, the, you know, people like to pick apart the Bible. You know, we don't know what mountain he was on. And then if you look in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 is kind of a parallel of the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew chapter 5. If you read through it, you're going to see a lot of the same stuff. You're going to read a lot of the same thoughts that are shared, maybe not in as much detail um, as Matthew records for us that Luke does. But it's, it's, it's kind of the same. But the problem with the Luke passage is that it says he came down to a flat place and taught. And so everybody's like, oh, this can't be, this is, this is not congruency within Scripture. One says he went up, the other one says he went down. And there's a couple of different explanations for that. We're just going to kind of hit real fast. One is, it's really just a matter of perspective, right? There was a mountain, and either he went up and, and kind of found a flat place to, to teach from and taught, or maybe he went up and he came back down a little bit and found a flat place to teach from and taught. Is it, I don't know that it really matters, but some people like to argue about things like that. I don't think it matters, okay? The, the second side of that is, is that Jesus probably did maybe have taught a little bit down the mountain because the crowd would have went up and let his natural acoustics go up the mountain to teach. This is not uncommon. When he, when he would stand on the, on the shore, he'd row out from the boat just a little bit to let, his water, or let the water amplify his voice to the people who were around him. He used natural acoustics all the time. And so whether you believe he went up the mountain or down the mountain, it really doesn't matter. I believe he went to a mountain and he sat down and he preached. He preached this incredible sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. And, and really, it's the, the first major teaching session that we have recorded for us in Matthew from Jesus. And, and it it's, it's the longest passage of Scripture that Jesus ever taught on. Uh, this is, it covers about three chapters in Matthew. And, it, and it, I told the men in the men's breakfast this morning, if you missed that, then I hate that for you. You should have come, men. Uh, but I told them in men's breakfast that he, he really starts to change everything with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, you know, he came and he said things like, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law, right? And and he does this in an incredible way through the Sermon on the Mount. He takes these known laws, these known Jewish mosaic laws that Moses got on Mount Sinai. Things like, do not commit adultery. And then Jesus says, you know, you've heard, do not commit adultery. I'm telling you that if you have lust in your heart, then you're already guilty of adultery. You know, it says, do not commit murder. But if you're angry towards your brother, then you're, then you're, com- you're guilty of committing murder. And he goes through all these things to the Sermon on the Mount and so much more. We don't have time to get into it. But he really introduces his thought and his new way of teaching and his new way of seeing the world through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount, but we do have time to start where he started. And he starts with what we call the Beatitudes, these blessed be statements. And all the things that he's going to teach on in the next few chapters... He starts with what I called this morning to the men, very small things. And it's really to make us very small. And, and we can get into the, the grammatical structure of this because it really just bothers me, if I'm going to be honest, because I read those and I want to read blessed. Because I, we, we tape 
our services, and I'll, I'll occasionally watch about five minutes of it because it's about all I can handle. I sound very country on TV, and I try not to. Like, I really try not to, but it's just, sometimes it just comes out. Like, I've been in South Arkansas for too long, and, and it's just, I, I get a little twangy, right? And so when I read this blessed be, I go, gosh, that is so South, that is like Southern Baptist lingo 101. We're going to say blessed instead of blessed. And so I did, some, I did some study. I did some grammar study. And, and I think it's really neat to know this. So the, if you go back to the original Greek grammatical form of this word, it is used as an adjective. It's, a, it's something that describes a noun, right? And so if you, if you find out, if you type into your dictionary, Webster's Dictionary Online, or if you actually still have an old school dictionary, then throw it away and go get you a computer. And you look up the word blessed, B-L-E-S-S-E-D, it will say the adjective form of that word is pronounced blessed, B-L-E-S-S-E-D. And I go, okay, this is not a, this is not a South Arkansas southern fried bona fide chicken fried word this is actually how it's supposed to be pronounced so when we read through these it's blessed because it's an adjective it's talking about something we have been this is a blessed be kind of things and so uh, we just have to clear that out because my grammar bone is just like screaming at me when i say that okay so let's just dive in i'm going to read uh the entire passage mark i don't have the whole passage up on the screen uh, but i'll get to the parts that we're going to teach through in just a second but let's read all of the beatitudes here matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 1 now when he saw the crowds he went up on the mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and began he began to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a lot. So we're, we're going to take a little bit of this this week, and then we're going to finish it up next week. I want to start kind of in, in the very beginning, and, and this will seem a little out of the ordinary, but let's start with verses 1 and 2, okay? 1 and 2 gives us some really incredible context that, that most of us would just read right over because we're trying to get to these blessed bees, right? So let's, let's start with verse 1 and 2. That should be on the screen. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, we've already talked about that, and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying... Now, we've already talked about the mountainside, but notice Jesus' position. He sat down. I had planned on sitting this morning anyway, just because of this passage of Scripture. But there's something that's really important about Jesus sitting down. I can stand behind a pulpit, or I can stand behind a music stand, or I can stand behind a podium and teach, and that's great. But, but when, when we sit down, there's, there's hopefully a little bit more of an intimate setting, Right? kind of maybe draws you in a little bit, kind of makes me feel a little bit more approachable. 
And Jesus comes in and he, and he, he sits down. Now, in, in Jesus' culture in this time period, to sit down is a position of authority. We think about standing up being a position of authority, right? I'm standing up before the church. I'm addressing you. But in, in his day and time, when, when you were in authority, you sat down. This was common between teachers and preachers and doctors. Doctors would come in and sit down when they would talk to you. Um, and there's all kinds of, of Scripture reference for that. Luke chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus was reading the scroll in the, in the synagogue. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah, remember? And it says that he rolled the scroll up and handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down and taught. In Luke chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus sat down in a boat and, and taught the people who were on shore. In John chapter 8, Jesus sat in the temple courts and taught. Acts chapter 13, Paul sits in Antioch and teaches. And again, in Acts chapter 16, he sits in Philippi down by the river. And he sits down and he teaches the people who are there. Because when you sit down in that, in that time, it's a, it's a position of authority. That this person comes and what they're going to say is going to be very, very important. Look, if you flip over just a couple of verses, it should be on the screen. Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He, he sits down to teach. He goes through the Beatitudes. He goes through all this incredible things he does through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. At the end of chapter 7, in verse 28, after everything that he says, he says this. When Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as one of their teachers of the law. I love this. Like This is Jesus assuming the posture of authority. And this is also the crowd recognizing and acknowledging his authority. So when Jesus comes in and he sets down, everybody went, okay. He's about to say something. He's about to get down to business. And then the Bible says, he began to teach them, saying. In some translations, maybe your Bible has it worded out a little different. Maybe yours says, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. That phrase, he opened his mouth, if you go back to the original language, that phrase is kind of translated a couple of different ways in Scripture. Uh, sometimes it says, he turned his shoulders. Sometimes it says, he moved his feet. He opened his eyes, or he widened his eyes, or he opened his mouth. Notice it's not about what part of the body it's speaking of. It's talking about the, the intentionality behind what's about to happen. That Jesus moves his feet, he squares his shoulders, he opens his eyes, and he begins to speak. I, I was reading through um, the pulpit commentary, which is a commentary I read through every, every once in a while about some passages of Scripture, and it says this, This indicates that the words spoken are not the utterance of chance, but of set will and purpose. Listen, this is, this is Jesus positioning himself to say something very, very important. He's setting down in authority. He's gathering himself. And he's going to deliver this incredible message that's going to change the course of history. And before he did all that, he just got ready. And I love it. I love how he just positions himself. It says that he began to teach them, or he taught. That word taught is didasko, okay? This is the Greek word, and it just says this, to impart instruction, to instill doctrine, or to explain or expound on something. 
Isn't that exactly what Jesus does when he, when he teaches and when he preaches? He, he imparts wisdom through instruction. He, he instills in us the faith that we have, that we need. And he explains and expounds on life. Can you, can you imagine how engaging Jesus was as a preacher? Like, I'm, uh, I'm not that good. Like, can you imagine how good he was? Can you imagine how drawn in he gets you and how deep he goes? Can, like, I would love to have witnessed that. I, well, I can't wait to witness that, right? Because at one point, we all are going to be able to sit at the foot of Jesus and listen to him teach. And it's going to be incredible. It's going to be on a, it's going to be on a whole other level than we've ever even experienced. And he's going to sit. He's going to position himself. And he's going to speak words that are so truthful that it's going to, just, it's going to riddle your body. It's going to, it's going to change everything. And, and he sits before he gets on the Sermon on the Mount, before he ever really gets into anything. And he starts with something so small. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. After all this uh, pomp and circle, after, after getting so authoritative and so ready and so positioned, he starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you read through Luke's version, he doesn't, he doesn't put the in spirit on there. Luke just says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You read through Luke's account of this in, in Luke chapter 6, it's, it, it really leans heavily into financial, right? This is the financially poor. And, and if we read through Scripture, we understand how much Jesus talked about the poor and how our responsibility as true ministers is to minister to the poor, right? Jesus came and he ate with the poor and he did a lot for the poor. He healed the poor. He was around them all the time. And so if we read Luke's passage, we think, well, this is probably what he's talking about. He's talking about the lower class citizens, the, the ones who need him the most, the ones who are in the most really desperate point of need in their life. They have nothing else to lose. They have everything to gain. They have a kingdom to look forward to. We can understand that, right? But if you read the context of what Matthew's saying here, this poor in spirit, then, then we really begin to understand that, that this is... This is a little bit deeper than just finances. One commentary I read said this, Those who are in their deepest consciousness realize their entire need that before God we are void of everything. That's what being poor in spirit is. When we realize our greatest need and before God we have absolutely nothing to offer Him, he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. When we begin to understand the debt that we owe and the price that he paid and the emptiness of our lives in comparison to him, then we come very poor in spirit. I wrote down in my notes, when we understand the value of our wants versus the wealth of his will. That's good. The value of our wants versus the wealth of his will. We become very poor in spirit. We realize that we have nothing to offer God. But everything that we have we give over 
to him. Jesus says this incredible statement, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you notice it? Did you notice the, the word there that we just skip right over? It didn't say theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, or theirs might be the kingdom of heaven, or they hope for the kingdom of heaven. It says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, if, if you're a believer, if you're a real come underneath the lordship of Jesus believer, not just a, hey, I walked an aisle when I was a kid and I got baptized, but if you say and profess and believe that Jesus is the Lord of all things and you live your life under his lordship, if you're a believer, then you have the kingdom of God. That's an incredible promise right here. When you, when you are poor in spirit and you realize, I have nothing, but he says, you've got everything. You've got the kingdom. See, we walk around here like we have nothing and nothing to look forward to. And the whole time, God is saying, you have everything I have. I've given it all to you. Romans 8, chapter 16 says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, if heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What are we heirs to? The kingdom. It's ours. We walk around and we, we, don't, we don't realize what is ours right now. What we want and what we look forward to, we already possess. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's ours. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The second thing it goes into, are blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What, what an incredible two things to start with, Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. There's two different ways we could take this mourning passage here. Obviously, one is uh, the loss of a loved one or the loss of a possession. You can mourn those things. Blessed are those who mourn. Or we talk about those who mourn over sin. I can really see both sides. You read commentaries, people are going to talk about it from two different directions. You read, you listen to one preacher, he's going to say one thing. You listen to another preacher, he's going to say the other. But both sides of the coin are exactly the same. That, that we, we can have the mourn of the loss of, of individuals or of, of possessions. Listen, Jesus steps in as the ultimate comforter. He understands the, the pain of loss, right? Uh, he, he says in, I think it's John eleven thirty five 35, where Jesus wept, where Lazarus had died. He found out that his friend had passed away. He understands the pain of loss. And he can come in in a way that we can't even understand and comfort. Some of y'all have experienced that. You all, most of us have experienced that. We understand that comfort that God comes in and, 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 and gives us in an incredible way when we've lost someone or something of such value and importance in our life. But then there's the other side of those who mourn sin. I, I want to kind of lean into this this morning. It's the idea of being broken and being repentant. Who, people who see their lives the way they were before Jesus and who mourn and grieve over the sin that they have committed and over the sin that others commit. Remember we talked about this just two weeks ago when we looked at the uh, Dave, Davidic Psalm, Psalm 51, where David said, Against you and you only, God, have I sinned. Remember that? David said, I understand that my sin has consequences that are horizontal, but the vertical consequence is towards you and you alone, God. I have sinned against you. And when you recognize the greatness of that and how that breaks God's heart, then you become 
very mournful. You kind of become very much aware. You, you have a different attitude towards sin. It's not just this get-out-of-hell-free card that we get when we get saved. It's not this, I have a free license to do anything because of grace. It's not that. It's when you, when you really understand the, the deep impact of sin and you mourn over breaking the heart of God. This, this is where I believe he's coming. I, I love this, this uh, commentary that I was reading. said that the first two Beatitudes are very connected to each other. They're very much kind of an echo of one or the other. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, is really an intellectual response. It's understanding our position in front of God the Father. It's a, it's a mental thought of, of this is who I am without Him. The blessed are those who mourn is an emotional response to our poor in spirit. It's because we have nothing, because of all the things that we have and all the things that we've done because we're really utterly worthless, then our emotional response of that is to mourn the breaking of God's heart. And we can parallel this with Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, you all remember the passage in Isaiah where Isaiah is kind of taken in and he's having his vision. He's in the throne room and he hears the, the voice of God thundering in the heavens. And Isaiah's response to this is, I am ruined, right? Y'all remember that? Some translations, one of my favorite ways it's translated, it says, I am undone. That is the poor in spirit. That's the intellectual response. But what he says before that is, woe is me, for I am undone. That's the mourn. That's the emotional response to that. He's, he's saying, I, I can't even stand in the presence of God. I am completely undone before him. These two are so interconnected and so woven together so beautifully that when we understand how poor in spirit we are, we understand what it means to mourn for our sin. When we understand just how nothing we are in the eyes of God, we recognize the, the magnitude of our broken relationship because of the decisions that we make. We, we have to understand when he comes out and he says these first two phrases, blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn. He's, he's completely drawing us into our desperate need for him. He's, he's wiping away any pomp and circumstance that we have, any, any braggadocious attitude that we may have, any kind of hashtag blessed thing that we think we can bring him. And he says, let's wipe away all that. Because you've got to be poor in spirit and you've got to mourn. And then yours is the kingdom of heaven and you will be comforted. Let's, he says, if blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted, right? He's going to come in beside you. He's going to come in around you. It's just like the song that Kathy just sang, right? It's this idea of he's, he's going to come in and he's going to hold you up when you need him the most. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says this, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Listen, some of you have experienced this on an incredibly deep personal level. The comfort of God in the middle of your mourning. Some of you, when we think about it, and we think about the sin aspect of our life, 
and the broken relationship that we had with Jesus because of that. And we, we understand the magnitude of that and we begin to mourn it. He still comes in and he wipes away every tear from our eye. And, and he says, let's not do this anymore. Let's not, let's not live in this. Let's live in the life that I have for you. I'm going to comfort you through the loss. This is an incredible way to start the Sermon on the Mount. And then he keeps going. This is kind of our last thought here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not much uh, intended as this moral value as much as it is just Christian grace. Um, the word meek is defined as a mild disposition and gentle spirit. It's only used three times in the New Testament, twice in Matthew and once in 1 Peter. If you come to our, our adult Bible study on, on Wednesday nights, we just went through First and Second Peter uh, and went through an incredible study on those two books. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says this. It's kind of talking about women and how their beauty doesn't come from the outward adornment they put on, how it really comes from the inside out. And he says, Peter says, Indeed, it should be your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle, that word is a meek and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I love that. That a, that a meek spirit is of great worth in God's sight. It's, this idea of meekness, really, this, this it, gentleness translates into being humble and being kind and being gentle. Jesus is saying here that these people... These are the very, the very humble, the very meek, the very gentle people. They will inherit the earth. Not meaning that they're not going to have any problems, because problems still will come. doesn't mean that they're going to have a perfect life, because life still happens. It doesn't mean that they're just going to be healthy, happy, and, and fat, and live all the hog. They're not going to do all that. It just means that every experience in life, they're going to see God move in. It means that they... They're in their situations, their optimism is rooted in something bigger than their own personal circumstance. And really the word that I came to, to just write down is content. You're just content. When you are meek, you're content. We all have a little want inside of us that wants more, right? We all have this little thing inside of us that, that wants to consume more. There's always this idea of, I could trade up. I could trade, sometimes, listen, I could trade up from a four-wheeler to a truck, and some of you are thinking that I could trade up a spouse. Because whatever's happening right now is not good enough. But when you learn that humbleness and kindness and gentleness and meekness, you learn to be very, very content in everything that God's given you. And you go, this is more than, this is more than I deserve. This is more than enough. This is, this is better than what I should have. Meekness is a, is a Christian grace. I like that. It's just the idea of coming down, becoming very small, and being very content with what God has begun to give you and seeing the beauty in that. These first three, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, these three things are, are so interconnected. But here's my big punch, and I'm going to be done. This is, uh, the worship band can come up on stage if you want to. This is kind of my, uh, this is a pretty quick intro sermon today. The, 
I'm going to give away next week's sermon if I can. Can I do that? That doesn't mean you don't have to come. The word blessed has a better meaning, has a better translation. If you go back to the Greek word, the word that he's using, we translate it 99% of the time as blessed. And 99% of the people miss the big picture. That word, with its best translation, is happy. Happy. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, he's really saying, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Because they will inherit the earth. Because the kingdom is theirs. Because they will be comforted. See, this intellectual response or emotional response or this Christian grace that we're supposed to have really flows out of our happiness that God gives us. Because we begin to understand and we begin to realize that it's not about us. It's about what He's given to us. He's given us a spirit that's broken. He's given us a, a, a sin to mourn. And He's given us this, this idea of being small and humble and meek. And those things fulfill us. Those things make all of us who we are. And we begin to be very happy in that. Because we know when we are poor in spirit that we have the kingdom of God, that when we are mourning, that we will be comforted, and then when we are meek, we will inherit the earth. Happy are we. Happy are the blessed. And so, this really just kind of changes the whole way you read the Beatitudes. We'll get into this next week, but can you imagine reading verse 11 where it says, Happy are you when people insult you. That's going to change your perspective. It's not just blessed. I got blessed one time by none. I did. I was working at Walmart. I was uh, in college. I was, uh, I was the toy guy, which was the worst job in the world as a, as a Walmart employee. And then I had this little nun come by, and she asked me where something was. I knew where it was. It wasn't in my department. I went and took her down to some automotive thing, and she looked at me, and she did the whole, like, bless you. She called me Matthew, and my name tag said Matt. And I like, for the rest of the day, I was floating around. I was like, this is great, right? It changes your attitude when you understand that we don't have to live in this blessed. It's just very, oh, blessed. We do this in our culture. So, oh, bless their heart. Bless. When we read it and we go, happy. Happy are those who are poor. Those have, happy are those who are broken. Happy are those who have lost Happy are those who are humble. So now that we know, next week is going to be a little different. Next week is going to look like a whole new ball game to you. I, I encourage you to read through the Beatitudes this week and, and, and read it with happy are. Happy is. Happy are these. Because when you read it that way, you go, okay, God, you've come and you've given me something to be happy about. And so you don't even realize it. You're too caught up in the mourning and the meekness and the, and the brokenness that you don't see the happy behind it. And so the question today as we wrap is, is, is what are you going to look at? Are you going to look at it from your perspective? Are you going to look at it from his perspective? 
Are you going to look at it from, it's about me and all the things that I have to go through. I have to be broken. I have to be poor in spirit. I have to be meek. I have to be humble. Are you going to say, God, make me these things and make me happy in them. God, I want to be happy because of my recognition of who I am, how I have nothing for you of all that you've done for me. I want to be happy that you've forgiven me of the sin that I can mourn. And I want to be happy because I want to be content in who you have and who you are. See, church, it's not about you and me. It's never been about you and me. It's always been about him. It's always been about projecting all this back up to him. He looks at us and says, blessed are you. And we go, no, no, happy are we because of what you have done. It's all about you. You see the reversal here? And he starts, I love that he starts the Sermon on the Mount with these very simple, small things. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.